The ruler to be born in Bethlehem. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, we are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for, for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Linda. <laughs> so as we get, get, we're getting ready to get, get to gather, easy for me to say, we're getting ready to gather this coming weekend, it's families traveling everywhere to see one another, to love one another, to celebrate Christmas. There's this thing that may ruin at some point in time, the festivities. That thing is politics. You're going to have that uncle that just can't keep his mouth shut. And then there's this explosion, this back and forth, and it's, it's as bad, probably worse, than it's ever been. The polarization, the division... It's not just left or right leaning, it's usually alt, all the way. Power and conviction, division, dividing, breaking fellowship over stances, political stances, run amok. There's lots of reasons for that. But one of the reasons, no doubt, is this, is that man seeks a world of utopia and peace. I don't think you can argue that whether you're on the left or you're on the right or somewhere in between, that the goal is, what you want is utopia. You want peace. The problem is that we can't agree on the best route or the effective route to get there. And the interesting thing is that when God created this world, and he created man, he created it with utopia and peace. And there was a common denominator there. The common denominator was him. He was the ruler. He was the king. And his creation worshipped him and surrendered to him and obeyed him. Until it didn't. Until it didn't. Because there was this desire somewhere planted deep down in the resources of man that what if we could have utopia and peace without God? Wouldn't that be wonderful? And so, the forbidden fruit the rebelling against God, the sinning against his word and his command, and everything came crumbling down. From that moment to this, nobody has known anything like complete utopia 
and peace. And yet, from that moment to this, man has desperately sought to create utopia and peace. But they continue to try to create that without God. And so you have the left side of the aisle say this is the best way to do it, and the right side of the aisle say this is the best way to do it. And either side, whatever side you're on, the other side is the evil side, the wrong side. But the reality is, there is no utopia and there is no peace without God. It's never going to happen. It's not going to happen. So this is what God did. He established a people out of this fallen world, broken and fallen. He establishes a people group. And he says, listen, you know what? You're going to be my people. You're going to be called Israel. You're going to be my people. And I am going to be your king. God himself is going to be their king. I'm in the world. And I'm going to lay down a law for you. And if you abide in my law and you stick close to me, blessings galore you will experience here. Utopia and peace. And the rest of the world is to look in on this and drop their ways, turn from their ways, repent, and then come into the fold. They were to be a priesthood. They were to represent the glories of loving and worshiping and surrendering to God. What a plan. Nothing wrong with it on God's end. The problem is, Israel never quite lived up to it, did they? In fact, they said, you know what, God, we like that you've put your application in for being our king, but we would rather have a human king. And, and God warned them, no, you don't. No, you don't. And back and forth, and so finally God gave in to them and gave them human king after human king after human king. And every one of them was fallible and weak. Some of them were downright wicked and awful. And instead of prospering, Israel constantly found themselves in warfare and difficulty and scattering. They didn't experience the utopia and peace that God had promised in the covenant because they did not uphold their end of that covenant. And this is where we get Micah 1. Micah is warning Israel of yet another fallen king. He warns them and says there's going to be this another siege against them. There's going to be a smite of their king. And this is this is horrible news. Here we go again. We're falling again. And this is this is in the sovereign world world will of God. This is judgment. This isn't just happenstance. Nothing is happenstance. Everything happens for a reason. When God judges a nation, one of the ways he does it is he gives them poor leadership. He gives them poor rulers. He gives them poor kings. So the next election, when you look on the ballot, 
when you're trying to vote who should be the President of the United States and you don't find anybody on that ballot of moral goodness or compass or ability or somebody that you feel good about voting for, know that it's judgment upon this nation. In this case, this king was not strong enough to withhold the military attacks. He would be captured. You can read about this in 1 Kings. But what we're focused here this morning on is the, the verse 2. Verse 2. With this bad news, Micah delivers good news. Here's his bad news, but he opens verse 2 and he says, But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. Bethlehem. Think about this. God could have picked anywhere, any city, any town, anywhere, to reincarnate, to, to incarnate, to, to have Jesus be born anywhere he could have picked. He picks Bethlehem. He didn't pick Rome. He could have picked Rome. Rome is this massive kingdom, powerful political center. He would have fit in real well there. This king would have been known immediately. But he doesn't pick them. He, he could have picked Athens. Athens is a, the intellectual center of the time. It was a proud, it prided itself on great thinkers, great intellects. Often they would spend hours into the wee hours in the morning debating the meaning of life. Could have picked Jerusalem. Jerusalem being obviously the religious center of the time. This is where the religious elite hung out. But he doesn't. He picks Bethlehem. A tiny town with no current significance to speak of. It's actually where 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 Jerusalem was where the religious elite hung out. Bethlehem was a town where the outcasts and the overlooked hung out. It was where the shepherds hung out. Shepherds weren't all, they were always so, so busy tending to the sheep, they weren't able to uh, attend all of the religious observations. And so they were just considered from the rest of, the, of Israel just less than outcasts. So they just kind of hung out together in this little town called Bethlehem. But I think we can learn some stuff from Bethlehem. <clears throat> I think it reflects some things about our Lord. I think first, Bethlehem reflects our Lord's personality. Who is our Lord? If we study, when we study the Scripture, we study the Gospels, we see that our Lord was not somebody who was famous and proud. Amen? Rome, he didn't fit in Rome. He wasn't one of them. He wasn't famous and rich and proud and any of this stuff. You know, he, he described himself as gentle and lowly. He didn't describe himself as a great intellect. Somebody with great intellect, powerless, although he was, he didn't bolster himself in that sense. And he certainly didn't refer to himself as the religiously elite. He's the one that said that my yoke is easy. Rest in me. Oh, he's gentle and he's lowly. 
And we shall be so thankful for that. Because it means that he's approachable. He's down to earth. He's inviting everybody to the table. He understands and gets it. You don't need to be of the religious elite or the famous. Jesus is relational. Bethlehem also reveals something about his priority. See, when Christ was on the earth, he spent a lot of time with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. People that maybe some of us would turn our nose up to. But not Jesus. He didn't turn his nose up to these people. He hung out with them. He spent time with them. He broke bread with them. Which may not mean much to us, but in the time it was one of the most intimate things you could do with somebody. Is to recline and eat with them. And here is this baby from Bethlehem. Spending time with the sinners and tax collectors and the prostitutes. And when the religious elite questioned him, why is it that you spend all this time with these people, these sinners and tax collectors? Jesus said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. His priority is those who are lacking, needing, hurting, humbled, and outcast. And that is the way he is to this very day. If you are somebody who has pride, who thinks that you have self-sufficiency, who thinks you can make a stand for yourself, you are not going to receive or come to or accept Jesus Christ. Amen? He's not there for you. But if you find yourself broken, an outcast, down and out, oh, the name Jesus Christ changes everything. Just the name just his name. Bethlehem reminds us of his abilities. See, this is this nothing town. And I've looked ahead on the program. I, I know that after this, we're going to sing a song. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. We're going to sing a song, a song that we've all grew up singing. We've sang for years. We sing this song about this town. This is a little town that was nothing. But then Jesus came to it. And now we sing about it. We praise about it. We teach our children about it. People travel from all over the world to come see it. It is completely transformed. Why? Because Jesus Christ came to it. And who he comes to completely transforms. You don't believe me? Ask Matthew, the tax collector. Or Simon the zealot. Or one of the insignificant fishermen. Men whose lives were essentially nothing. They would have passed off the scene never to be remembered again. 
but because Jesus Christ came to them, they became apostles. They became apostles. And they will be remembered for all of history. Again, the significance isn't Bethlehem. The significance isn't the apostles. The significance is that Jesus Christ came to them and everything changed. And how about you and me? What was our trajectory? Outcasts on the outside looking in, no way into the favor of God. Therefore, our fate was eternity separate from God. But then Jesus came to us. And everything changed. In that moment, one moment we're not known by God. Jesus comes to us, and in that moment we're adopted sons and daughters. In that moment, we will be remembered forever because our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen? Because Jesus came. It changed everything. It's incredible. God chose Bethlehem because this is what God does. He chooses what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He he chooses what is weak in the world to shame the strong. The world argues politics, policy, the law to achieve utopia and peace. And we say this. You'll never get utopia, you'll never get peace without the baby from Bethlehem. Amen? It will not happen. And they say, that's foolishness to us. And we go, we know. We know. And that's why we're praying for you. Because they can't see it. But praise God. Our eyes have been opened. We do see. We do see. Everything changed in Bethlehem. Everything changed for the world because of that baby born in Bethlehem. Micah goes on to tell them who he's born for. So he says, From you shall come forth for me. For me. Who is he coming forth for? He's coming forth for God. That this baby from Bethlehem is coming for the purposes of God the Father. He has come to bring God the Father all glory and praise. All glory and praise that is due Him has always been due Him. And He has come forth to do God the Father's will. In a couple of weeks when we resume Mark, we're going to see that in the garden. When He falls to His knees, blood sweating from His brow. Asking God to let this cup pass. But Father, your will, not mine, be done. He has come for the glory and the praise and to do the will of God. Micah goes on to say, 
He is the one who is to be the ruler in Israel. Man, did Israel need a king? Needed a new king. Desperately. I need a new king in my life. And regardless of what your opinion is as the president of the United States currently, we need a new king. We need a real king. And not one for temporal achievement or, or to, to deliver us from our enemies. Certainly that, but not just that. That's not what this was talking about. That's not what Micah was prophesying. God was telling Micah to prophesy this so that they would recognize that this new ruler, this new king, was going to be different than all of the other rulers and kings that came before and all of the ones that were to come after. This one would come in a spiritual sense to deliver them from their sin and unrighteousness. That was Israel's problem. And that is the United States of America's problem. It's not COVID. It's not the left. It's not the right. It's that we are filled with sin and unrighteousness and denying God every step of the way. That is the problem. It's been the world's problem since the fall. And so God sends this baby from Bethlehem to deliver us from that sin and unrighteousness that we might experience what God has given us to begin with, the utopia and peace. He has sent this baby from Bethlehem to become the king of kings to guide us in God's ways and to bring a new covenant and to implant in Israel and in us a new spirit and in a new heart. Jeremiah 31 says this, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Because of the baby in Bethlehem, We get to be God's people. And he is our God. Who is this baby from Bethlehem? Micah finally tells us who he is. He says, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. This baby, to be born in Bethlehem, has origins in eternity. He comes from heaven, from from everlasting. This baby, who is to be born in Bethlehem, has no beginning. And therefore has no end. The human baby that was to be born in Bethlehem to become the king of kings for the glory of God was God himself. God the Son. What an incredible thing. You can't can't leave here thinking you're not loved. You just can't. What a mysterious thing. What did I do to deserve 
the creator of the universe, to humble himself to this level, to come walk in my shoes, live out a life for me, and then take on the penalty that I have accrued, that I might not have to experience that penalty, and then conquer death, that I might live with him in utopia and peace forever and ever. What a mystery. This baby in Bethlehem. What a glorious, incredible mystery. There is no, there's nothing else that we can point to that is love. I often say to the person who's not a Christian, when they say God is love, I say, how do you know? See, I I can point to things. I know that God is love. And I know it through this baby in Bethlehem. So Micah's prophecy was good news. Fantastic news, incredible news. But we also know that this news was missed by much of Israel. We know that because if they would have fully grasped the significance of what Micah was saying, they would have turned to the Lord in gratitude and repentance. And as we live on the other side of this birth, this is a prophecy, this is what's going to happen, but you and I live on the other side. This has taken place. And as we live on the other side, you think, well, maybe it would be better for the people to live on the other side. They just couldn't see it. And yet here we are on the other side of that 2,000 years. And most people still fail to see the significance. They continue to gather and plan and scheme and try to develop ways to experience utopia and peace without God. But we know this. And this is as Christians what we're called to do, what we're called to proclaim to the world. We're called to proclaim this. There is no utopia and peace without Christ Jesus. Without the baby from Bethlehem, there's no utopia, there's no peace, there's only hellfire. put with the baby from Bethlehem? Oh, with that baby from Bethlehem. Right now, presently, in our hearts, Christians, we have the privilege of knowing utopia and peace. Amen? It hasn't fully come all the way yet. We know that because we sit here waiting patiently for that day when he does return to bring it into its fullness, the utopia and peace that he had created from the very beginning. But right here and right now, as we allow this 
baby from Bethlehem to be the Lord of our hearts and our souls, to the extent that we permit him that, do we experience utopia and peace. And in that way, we don't need to argue about politics. We don't need to be miserable. We don't need to have the same fears as the world. In fact, we will stand out significantly different from our neighbors. Praying for the opportunity for them to see that and ask a question. What is it with you? Why aren't you all up in arms about the same stuff? That everybody is up in arms. And we could say, well, you know, it's, it's hard. There's this baby from Bethlehem who came. He came. And for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you so very much for Bethlehem, for your son. I mean, is thank you a adequate response? I don't think it is, God. So here's what we'll offer this morning. Our lives. You sacrificed your son. We will sacrifice. We will be living sacrifices. Let's let this Christmas be a reminder, a renewal to us that we are to live our lives as living sacrifices. That we are to pour ourselves out onto the gospel, the good news of Christ Jesus. The reality is this the time is at hand. This is now the time to become fervent, excited, driven to proclaim this news, which is going to be ever more contradictory and contrary to what the world wants to hear, yet we need to continue to proclaim it from the tops of our lungs, that Jesus Christ is the only Lord and Savior, without which nothing can be accomplished. God, give us boldness and humility. We know that the prophets were not well received. They had difficult, hard lives. People hated them. God, I'm asking you to be hated for your name. What a great honor. Let's remember to count nothing here as worth, but to know that all of this will become a new, a new heaven and a new earth. And that is our home. That is what we live for. And it is all brought forth by the baby of Bethlehem. Praise your name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So, Pastor